0: This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Yes,
1: thank you so much for tuning into this conversation with Jack Frost. Now, the catalyst for the chat is due to the release of Brothers in Arms' debut album. The project that Jack has put together features members of Last in Line, that's the Dio Legacy outfit, Lynch Mob, good old George Lynch, Hurricane, Diamond Head, Hardline, Angel, and many, many more. We cover it all throughout the chat, but something else. A conversation with Jack Frost isn't complete unless we cover many other aspects of his extraordinary career. As far as I'm concerned, he is potentially the most underrated guitarist in hard rock and heavy metal. Find out why throughout the chat. So here he is. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jack frost it's good to connect with you i've been a i've been a long-time admirer i must say of your work um going uh i think my first awareness of your playing must have been in sabotage and okay i used to read metal maniacs magazine do you remember that remember that magazine
0: i do yeah dude i mean metal maniacs metal edge they were great dude i I look forward to those when they would come out every month you know
1: Mm, yeah, and guitarists like yourself, because you know, he, controversial statement here. Never liked guys like Vi very much. Too widdly diddly, not song focused, <laughs> not not tight enough. If you know what I'm saying. But then you get a gotcha. guy like then you get a guy like yourself who knows how to play heavy metal, but at the same time, you know how to imbue it with melody, and that that Randy Rose quality, you know, that J.K. Lee thing. And um, so, for, wow. for
0: yeah. thank you. Like, wow, like. That's honestly, in 53 years, that's the nicest compliment I ever got about my playing. Serious. Like, seriously. Well, you yeah I,
1: yeah.
0: I mean, usually I get people go to me. Don't you think you could like, you know, sweep more and shred more? I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. Um, I, and I say this to them, they give me some weird vibe about it. I'm like, I'm like mm-hmm. Ronnie Machos didn't have to do that. Ronnie Machos would just play melodic. Neil Schoen. He could play three notes, Neil Schoen or John Sykes, Mm -hmm. and you're done. You're done. You don't need to ever hear anything else again because it's just, it says it all right there.
1: Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's interesting. People, they try to change people's innate styles, don't they, when it comes to musicians and they try to give you advice whether they're record company people or other musicians tend to do it a lot too, don't they?
0: Yeah, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, dude, don't get me wrong. If I have to play fast, I do. But mm. I don't think the, the whittling diddly all night long is—is just not my thing. It's, just, it's never been my thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Steve Vai, but I wasn't a huge fan of him in, in White Snake. It wasn't my no. thing. And, you know, I you know, you had Sykes, and then I mean, when Doug joined Snake, that was great. Like he yeah. took it back to that. That you know so.
1: Yep, Gary Moore and guys like that, mate. They don't shred in that sense. I mean, these are the guys, aren't they? You know?
0: Gary Moore is like, you know, <laughs> I got a little story for you. I don't know, maybe eight, nine years ago, I was at NAM and I was with my friend Patrick Johansson who plays drones for Ingve forever. Yeah. And it was I was standing there. Um, John Norm was standing there. Um, a few other guys, I can't remember exactly who else was there. And we're all talking about guitar players. It's like, you know, and we all look at each other, we go like this. Gary Moore. That's what we said. Yeah. We said, you know, it's like that's it. I mean, Gary Moore was like, I, I really think like if, if there wouldn't be a Vivian Campbell, and Vivian will say that. There mm-hmm. wouldn't be, there wouldn't be a Sykes. And and I think that's so great that John is such an amazing player. He still says to this day, Gary Moore. Like he just it's mm-hmm. it's all in here too, you know?
1: Yeah, and, and i got God to hand it to just- yeah, I have got to hand it to Scotty Gorham as well. You know, he's understated playing the way that he he held things together. So as though Gary could go and do what he did, but then at then step up and to shred. Have you have you seen that video of them performing on the steps of the Sydney Opera House? Thin Lizzie, that is. I did. How I've seen everything.
0: That? It's it's so great. Dude, I always wait every day of my life. I'm waiting someday after all the stuff I did. The Scott called me one day and say, Hey, you wanna fill in for Thin Lizzy sometime? <laughs> I would I would, I honestly, dude, if he ever called me for anything, ju- I would just play rhythm guitar. I would literally, I'm saying is I would do it for nothing because I'm such a big thin Lizzy fan. And yeah. Scott is, I mean, even the stuff he did after like Finn Lizzy is great.
1: Yeah. Black star Riders, mate. Great band. Yeah.
0: Star- but I mean, he had, what was the band he had after that? Was it, he had his own band for a while. Um, I think so.
1: Yeah, i very familiar with Black Star writers because I've had a chat to him about it. And um, yeah, just killer stuff. But he, I mean, he's a musician's musician, a guy like Scotty, isn't he? Oh, I mean, yeah. he's, you know, but, but, but look, so, are, so are you. And the, I guess, you know, we'll definitely talk about Brothers in Arms in the sec, but just on this topic, you know, someone like yourself, oh, like, fine.
0: Like, I, I have all the time you want. I'm in no rush. I love talking about this stuff.
1: Have you ever been asked to join a Megadeth or an Aussie, you know, that sort of thing? Is it, has that sliding doors moment happened for you?
0: Um, you know, I've had many chances to audition for stuff. Um, I did have a chance. Well, gosh, I mean, how many years ago? I try to think what year that was. I was young, man, 20 years old. And Mm -hmm. Dio was looking for a new guitar player. And I sent all my stuff in and I, they really liked what I did. And, um, at the time they took Tracy and Tracy fit so good at the time, but he just fits so good. Like Tracy is a dear friend of mine. And, that was one of the, um, one of the highlights. I mean, to me, you know, I I did join a big band, you know, to join a band that Chris Oliva was in
1: yeah, to me yeah. is the
0: same thing as joining Ozzy or joining Dio because Chris Oliva to me is one of the unsung gods of all times. So um, that was pretty much, you know, and a lot of the bands I fill in for, you know, playing for Joey Belladonna, playing with David Reese, I got to play mm. all these guitar parts that these amazing guitar players played. So, um, yeah, I guess to me, like, the closest I ever, like, that kind of thing was probably when I sent a lot of my demo stuff to Dio, and I was one of the guys that they looked at, which was pretty cool to even be looked at, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, Tracy G, killer guitarist, overlooked. Most people don't even know, even guitar fanatics aren't even aware that he was in, that there was a guy called Tracy G in Ozzy's band. It's sad, to be honest with you. Angry Machines is killer those, album. Th-
0: Great record. Dude, those couple of records with Tracy were great. They were heavy. Um, Mm. Pilsen played amazing on the bass. Really good.
1: Now I've had a chat to Alex Skolnick about this, but um, look, I think Chris Oliver is one of those guys as well. that sort of a lot of guitar aficionados, particularly metal guys. I don't know whether they've forgotten about (laughs) him or they didn't realize that he had the impact that he did, but he truly, he truly did. So what was it like for you playing his parts?
0: Dude, I, I, gotta, I gotta say, Chris Caffery was a big part of that for me because Chris was with Chris Aliva for such a mm. long time. And if you're with somebody, you become embodied with the work they do. And Chris was studied Chris Aliva so much that I learned so much from Chris because, you know, I can listen to something, I, I can give my take on it, but he really showed me how Chris played. And when he showed me some of the stuff that, like, Jesus saves, the really correct way to play it, it mm. blew your mind like how Chris's hands and his approach to the, the neck. Um, it, it, it was a, it was a learning experience. Hmm. Every day I wanted to learn something about Chris Oliva. And yeah, I mean, Alex did a great job filling in like, dude, I mean, talk about heavy shoes to fill after Chris passed away. You know, here's, here's Alex. And he's, yeah. Alex is a good friend of mine. And I think he did a great job, man. I think he did a phenomenal job. I mean, it's like, you know, it's talking about, like, Brad Gillis, you know, when he had to fill yeah. in for, how do you, I mean, you know, how do you, I mean, but let, let's be honest, Bernie Torme was the first guy to fill in for Randy. Yeah. Talk mm-hmm. about filling in for Randy Rhodes. jeez.
1: Well, wow. you get thrown into the deep end in that scenario like i'm bernie i know from what i understand bernie was given next to no bloody time to actually get acquainted with the material and live with it he was just thrown in on stage and i think pro- probably the same thing happened to brad too I, I know that happens in the aussie camp you get a phone call saying hey do you want to do this and then nothing happens for months and the next minute you got a phone call saying hey can you get in a plane right now and travel here and play guitar or bass or whatever it might be in the group and you're not given time to sort of I think that's why nothing against Blasco, why he kept it so simple as on the bass, instead of really sort of getting to groove into jam on some of that stuff. Because Bob Daisley, one of my fellow Aussies, I mean, Jesus, is there anybody better?
0: Dude, like you you got you got to say not even just bass playing lyrically, yeah. Songwriting, Daisley's a different animal, like a, a different level of musician. You know what I mean? He he just has this. Uh, man, when he walks, it mm. it he it, it, it's a song inside a song. Um and, and I noticed that about Daisley. And I, I think it's a little unfair what Lee and Daisley had to deal with for so many years. Like
1: he oh, yeah. should never yeah. have
0: touched those two records, man. There, there, there's I don't care if you have a financial issue or you have a publishing issue. That that's a piece of history right there. You don't you don't want to rewrite history. Um, so yeah, dude. Can, can, I've been at a, a few times thrown into that situation where you have three days to learn all these songs and come out and play. Or mm. that's stressful, man. And all I, I and I can't speak for people like Brad or Bernie, I mean, God rest his soul, or, or, or like guys like that that got thrown into that. Like, mm. but. I can tell you all you can do is you have to breathe for a minute and you you have to find your way of making those, making it work. Cause it's, can you imagine here learn 20 songs in three days and there's no, there's no music for it. Yeah. You know, Mm. those guys are, you know, it's stressful, man, but you just do it, you know. You either do it or you don't, you know. Mm.
1: You, you know, I read somewhere, and I don't know how true this is, but I think Rob Trubio is a stand-up guy and probably the only member of Metallica that I'd want to meet these days, to be honest with you. Um, but he was quoted as saying that he didn't realise what he was doing when he was in the studio recording that stuff. He wasn't told what the recording sessions would end up becoming. You know that? Really?
0: Yeah. No, I didn't and, know that. And,
1: I've got to give him the benefit of the doubt on that because I don't think he'd say it unless that was the case because, I mean, Faith No More, Mike Borden, killer drummer. I mean, these guys would not, excuse your language, fuck with the legacy of those two incredible albums on purpose, I don't think. So I think that was, I mean, thank God Sharon saw the light and removed those copies from market and replaced them with the real ones because I spoke to Andreas Kisser about this. It's not even lined up on the recording, you know, on the you know, it's moving along when you're looking at Pro Tools yeah. or what have you. It's not even lined up properly. You can hear that it's out when you listen to it. You can hear that the drums and the bass and Randy's guitar aren't on the same cadence.
0: Well, you, you know better than anybody, that's a different era of recording. Mm. You know, there was no Pro Tools back there. There was no guys, guys didn't play with click track. There, you know, you didn't have that. You know, when you made a mistake, you mm. had to go in a reel to reel, cut tape, cut tape. So, you know, if you listen to like anything, like even like Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, you can hear the meter changing, but that's what made it so great. Cause it was, mm. they were in a room, they were a band. They weren't all like, okay, man, play, go gong gong. All right, you're good. I'm going to cut and paste that 25 bars. Where, where's the, where's the feel of that? So, you know, you're trying to get in there and you're hearing a click, like you're saying, and you can see that, that yeah. meter, it's just not, and that, and that's not a bad thing to Daisley or Kerslake or Randy. They were rock, they, dude, you're human. You could, you can't play quarter notes for exactly five yep. minutes without moving. Like, it's just the way it is. And I think that's what made it so real sounding. Like, you know, mm. if, I mean, the first Van Halen record, come on, man. That was ready hit record, go. Yeah, And that's, I think that's what made it so magical back then. And I'm really glad that, that they literally went back to what, like, you know, have you ever listened to like some of the Randy Rhodes, like outtake things like not, not like the thing that Ozzy did, but there's like just the guitar tracks by themselves. Like somebody found like, Dude, it's amazing, like the stuff that Randy was doing that you don't really hear on the recordings, just like his undertones and his t- crazy, crazy stuff.
1: Yeah, there's a video out there of the of the engineer from the sessions, I think it was. Um, because it wasn't Max Norman, because I know he's a producer, but um right. it was it was the engineer, I think, showing Ozzy about two or three minutes after one of the songs had finished from the recording, and Randy's just doing what Randy does. And you can see Ozzy just, you know, Ozzy's like like a stunned mullet. Just he looks like that anyway, I know. But you can see that right, that's one of those moments. I, I don't think he's heard it. Yeah. He's never, he never heard it. Heard.
0: Yeah. 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 It's and um it's kind of cool, isn't it, to see someone like Ozzy for a moment, like it probably just took him back to the mm. moment he saw Randy play. And, you know, for me, Randy's one of my, you know, of course, like
1: Oh, it's just all yeah. time, yeah. Probably, right. yeah. Pr- probably the most influential for, in terms of how many albums did he do? Really, three or four or something like that. Was quite. I mean, what you know?
0: two Aussies and two Quiet Riots, and yeah. you know the live record. I mean, you know.
1: Yeah, but, but most influential you know, guitarist, you know, just, just oh yeah, yeah, in, in, such in Such a mm. little
0: time. Such a little time. You know. Hey,
1: just, just want to go back to Sabotage for you. Um, I, know, I know in 2002, you quoted as saying that things didn't end that well. Um, so have you spoken to those guys since?
0: Yeah, we're all really tight again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, man, we all, things went kind of weird. Um, I took it pretty hard, I'm being honest, because that band meant a lot to me. And I think we all went about it the wrong way. And me and Chris are really tight again. Um, I love Johnny and I talk to a lever all the time. There's no animosity at all. There's, there's mm. nothing like that. You know what? I think they're really proud of me where I've went on. And mm. it, it's kind of cool, man. They call them. There will always be family to me. And if Chris called me tomorrow and said, Jack, my car broke down, I'll drive three hours and help him out. Mm. So there's no, there's nothing negative to say. I, I love those guys.
1: You've done, you have done a hell of a lot since, and I want to cover so much of your your career since that point in time because you, you did come into your own. You're right. And and you've arrived at a point now where you've assembled this killer collective, uh, Hadley sent me across Brothers in Arms. And um, look, I've seen the video, therefore, I've heard the cut last to know. Okay, that's, that's the teaser that I've been able to uh, sample, if you like. But I think let's talk about the collective first, because when we talk about why, why the members of Sabotage are proud of you, okay, let's let's go through some of the uh, bands from which the musicians you have drawn ranks, okay? Last in Line, Lynch Mob, Diamond Head, Angel, Montrose, Rough Cut, Quiet Riot, Ario Speedwagon, Pat Benatar, and many, many more, which lends itself to the fact that, you are capable of drawing the best in the biz to your projects mate so congratulations on that front but but how on earth did you go about assembling and then certainly from what i've seen on last in line making something sound so cohesive from a killer lineup like that
0: wow that's a that's a pretty heavy question (laughs) um well you know okay so i'll say this people ask me this how did you get this stuff? How did you put this together? How did you get all these guys to be involved in this? Like, I mean, dude, let's be honest. The, the names of bands and iconic groups that you mentioned, I'm, I'm not those guys. I wasn't in Montrose. That's you know, I mean, Quiet Riot, number one metal song record. I mean, first ever in the world. I mean, mm-hmm. Ever ever happened. It all came together because these guys. Our, fan, our brothers, really brothers. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about who's got a bigger ego. It was about guys that I personally thought were some of my favorite and greatest artists I, that I've always wanted to work with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been friends with Andrew since we were kids. Me and Keith are like East Coast buddies. I, I'm kind of lost for words sometimes, man, because. And I got it, people don't take this the wrong way. I've done a lot of really cool stuff, Mm. but I never listen to my own music anymore. I just don't listen to my stuff. It's kind of weird, I I get away from it. This is the first record that I can't believe I did. Um, I don't even believe that's me on this record. I step back and I listen and I go, what is this? To me, this is the most specialist thing I've ever done. And it was, (laughs) I know it's funny to say this, it was the easiest record I've ever made in my life. Not one ego, not one guy fighting each other about, no, this has got to be like this. Those guys are the most professional, easiest guys. And man, when I tell you the most sweetest people to be around, That I'm going to say that to you right now. Mm -hmm. They're a blessing in my life That's for sure
1: It must come down to the fact though That they've been there and done it And egos get parked at the door When you take part in a session Would you say that's that's true
0: Yeah, I mean But you know what dude I also think You know I kind of went back This a little bit different, okay Um, I wanted their input It wasn't the Jack Frost show Where it's like No, this riff must be like this Dude, Keith was a big part of this record, Keith St. John. We would go back and forth. He goes, Jay, would you mind like adding this like part a little bit longer? Mm -hmm. Sure. And he goes, I I don't want to like, you know, I go, dude, no, it's great. Um, And Andrew would call me up and go, yeah, you want me to sing over this part? I'm like, what do you think? He goes, yeah, let let me see what I can come up with. That's, that's how it was. I mean, Carl Wilcox, my drummer. And I will say he's my drummer because I will work with him for the rest of my life now. <laughs> um, he just, he has this swing about him, dude, because he's from the UK. He's mm-hmm. He's got that John Bonham, the Cozy Powell. Those are the guys. And I, I, I think a lot of people don't realize Carl is that guy. Cozy Powell. He's,
1: yeah.
0: Amazing. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He's, um, yeah. And, and how do you think it feels to me? The guy from Diamond Head goes, well, what do you think of this? Uh, it's great, man. He's asking me. He doesn't like, dude. He's done it all. He's seen it all. Doesn't need to ask me. But that's how great these guys are. So, so you can tell, right? You can tell I'm lit up about this because
1: yeah, I just the enthusiasm is coming right through the line, mate. It's just it's so great because you know I haven't spoken to anybody that's been bitter. Believe me, I've done over six hundred interviews at this point, and, and most people. Except Some of the younger guys Tend to be a bit sort of oh Well you know We've tried and this hasn't But it's like well You know you've been in the business For what how long now 40 years or something like that Yeah easy Easy 40 years Yeah The enthusiasm's just Just you know It's it's so easy to pick up And that's so great And that imbues The, the album I'm I'm so keen to hear the album In fact I'm going to hit up Adley after this And say look I'd, I'd love to hear it I won't share it Oh I'm really
0: bummed out You haven't heard the yeah. You know Friday We're releasing The next oh, single Okay if you get a chance later, just go on our Facebook. Mm-hmm. Or if you can do it right now, you should go look at the 30-second clip of Bitches Crazy. All mm-hmm. I can tell you is, bro, get ready. Cherry Pie meets Steve Vai era. David Lee Roth meets hot for teacher. We went for it. We Holy totally shit. went yeah. back. You're going you're gonna you're gonna cry laughing.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's was, was funny. I had a mate over, when we were just watching the Cherry Pie video the other day. And uh, I think Warren is one. Is one of those bands of killer musicians who often, who often gets overlooked and, and 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 I've got to say, unfairly ridiculed. Man, I think it's. I mean, Janie Lane. I mean, Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, that guy was a goddamn rock star. He had his demons clearly, but you know, there's so many killer bands and artists out there that with someone like yourself tips their hat to them. I think what it also does is there are younger and impressionable YouTube viewers and listeners that then get turned onto that sort of material. So do you, do you have a lot, do you, do you offer guitar lessons and do you interact with oh, yeah. a lot of emerging guitarists? Um,
0: yeah. Well, for like eight years, like in the last eight years before COVID, uh, I was running a school of rock in New Jersey. Oh, uh, I was a general yeah. manager and I ran all the shows and stuff, but um, I'm no longer doing that. Unfortunately, I, uh, it took a lot of my time, and I it, I it was it was a full time, full day job. You know, it was full on, um, and weekends too. I was getting that time to spend with my family, so I, I'm just now I'm back into recording a lot. I have my studio now, so I'm doing a lot of recordings, and um, I t- I teach as like a couple of days a week now privately at a at, at a different place, and I love mm. teaching. It's really fun.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you're doing that and passing on that knowledge that you've built up over the years. And uh, look, I'll, I'll go back to go back to talking about Brothers in Arms from from the perspective that did you write the majority of the material, have sketches of the material before you involved everybody, and then did you go, I want this musician to do this and this musician to do that? Is that how it worked?
0: Well, basically, the rhythm section is always Carl and Alex, and it's always Charlie on keyboards, except – so one song has Mick Mahan for Pat Benatar on bass And Dave Amato, my dear friend of mine Played a solo on one song But the rhythm section, the, the nucleus Is the same guys So I would come up with a riff Demo it at home, send it to the car We would go back and forth And then once you know, once the music was kind of like there I would always have an envision of somebody in my mind That was like, man, I'd love to hear Todd from Roxy Blue singing this song Or Paul Sheratino, Or, you know, I mean I got Steve Overland from FM, like he is like, he's like the second coming of, you know, Lou Graham to me. And Mm -hmm. so he's this nice, he's a really nice guy, man. He's really cool, great talent. Um, So a lot of that, I approached it that way. And then they would go, well, what are you looking for? And yeah, that's how I, I had a little bit of a nucleus, but then everybody really put their parts in. Everybody wrote, there was not, there's not one songwriter on this record.
1: Hmm. And look, the other thing is that um, sorry, my camera will come back on in a second. Oh, okay, silly thing. There yeah, you are. <laughs> um, look, I did read in the PR blurb that you're inspired by the first Badlands record. And look, oh. I think I mean for people unaware, another another band that people just don't know exists. It hasn't been given the reissue treatment, and you've got to pick up the CDs and the like on eBay secondhand. I mean, it's just the way things are at this point in time. But look, the other thing is that the band, the band included. Um, former Sabbath vocalist, Ray Gillen, God rest his soul. But what was it about that group specifically that inspired you?
0: They all came from major, major roles, okay? Mm. And they brought their influence, but it doesn't sound anything like Jake did in Ozzy. It, it's just, this record is magic to me. I think Jake's playing, the way he approached the guitar on that record, And how he left it, there's that nasty feel. It went back to that old school '70s, um, and Eric Singer is such a great pocket drummer. And I mean, it's just uh, the bass playing on that record is just ah, it. There's, I mean, and uh, you know, Greg Chase on is is, I mean, he's got a you know three three two other brothers that were in big bands, but Greg was just like he had this feel man like he approached it with that john paul jones um and what can you say i thought of that record as a blueprint and then i wanted to find singers that were the caliber of an angel i mean ray gillen there will never be another ray gillen he Mm -hmm. was soulful he had pizzazz he, he oozed sexuality, man He was just He was like this, the new Robert Plant to make um, And that's really why I think of that record I go, I really want I'll never make a record That'll sound like Badlands That is You know, you can't copy something that's perfect But I just want I use that record to feel of that record is where Brothers really comes from hmm.
1: Did you like the second one? The second album?
0: Yeah, I I actually even like Dark Dusk. I I even like Dusk. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. I mean, I know a lot of the songs were like demos and stuff that were the freaking demos are great. I mean, I love Voodoo Highway.
1: And did did you hear but did you hear Jake's solo album as well, A Fine
0: Pick Mist? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I mean, I've heard everything Jake ever did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really great. And I heard, you know, it's cool. He played on a lot of tribute records too. And they were really great Um, Yeah, you're
1: right He did a heap of that Yeah, Yeah.
0: he did But, you know, honestly I really like the last um, Cartel records
1: It took me ages to get into them To be honest with you I don't know what it was Yeah, I don't know And then I started hearing elements of his solo album Because I rate that album so highly A Fine Pink Mist I think, um Oh, look, I don't know shit from Shinola, so I'm just talking because we're talking, but um, I think he's <laughs> been through some through some difficult times in the years in between, and there might have been some other issues going on there. And I think, I, I don't know whether that affected his playing, but I think he lost his touch a little bit, particularly in the, some of the live stuff that I saw, because he was such an incredibly crisp placement. He had such incredibly crisp placement of notes, but it was all him. And I felt, oh God, I hate to say it, God, God help me here, some of it was sloppy. And I think that put me off, to be honest with you, getting into the Red Dragon cartel.
0: But you know, oof, I'm gonna, get, I'm probably should hide when I say this, but <laughs> you know, what was great about Jimmy Page was that little bit of sloppiness, yeah. and you know, when you say sloppiness, it was just how, it was just like, it wasn't like perfect, and it almost it made it cool, and I think with Jake. If you really listen to it, the Badland stuff, you can you can hear mm. that approach. He, mm. he, he wanted like some of the notes with the slides. And I think some people hear those slides and they think that's sloppy. Mm. I, I think it's a feel thing. And I think it's playing behind the beat sometimes. And then sometimes playing ahead of the beat. Yeah. So that's really what I feel in that kind of playing. I mean, you know, dude, I think Jake got older. And mm. I think when he was young, you were more hungry. And and maybe that's, you know, I think he's kind of like happy in his life now. And I understand what you're saying, but I don't know, man, you got to give those records, the first, at least give the debut no, record. De- no, I will.
1: Yeah, I definitely uh, will. I, it's just, I yeah, I think, cause I just rated him so highly and he's such, he's a part of my DNA, he's, he's a part of my musical DNA as a fan. And I'm also a musician. of course. You know, and, and I good, mean,
0: so. can I ask you a question? You're, are you are you, a are you a player?
1: I'm a bassist. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, you're a bassist. If you really sat down for me and really break down "Bark of the Moon," like really break it down, mm. do you know how hard that song is to play?
1: Yeah, I've I've like, seen him. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah.
0: So many people play it. They 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 think it's literally, you know, five seven with the seven. They just think it's a slide. Mm. Dude, it's not. He does. There's you have to sit there and really break it down. And then he uses his thumb. He has this weird, yeah. and like me, when I first started to play, I'm not a typical guitar player. I didn't learn to play like an E chord. Like most guys will play it like, they'll use their first finger. I use my middle finger. Hmm. I, and I play my chords like that. And I always use my pinky for like pure power chords. Like if I did like a three, five, I didn't use, I didn't use these two fingers. I use my pinky and my pointer, so it was kind of weird, and that got me learning about stretching, and that's why I think I so migrate towards Jake a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're kind of right. Of and of kind of, of, yeah, well, I've seen I've seen him do guitar clinics where he's going, everybody plays it like this in the YouTube clips, but it's actually like this, and demonstrating that considerable technique that you just articulated there, and it's it's uh, it's like Jaco Pastorius on the bass. It's, there's a way to play it, then there's the way to play it. And when you hear the way to play it, it sounds like the song. There's no two ways right. about it. And but, but it's also teaching you, you can take it to the line, which is 90% of the song. And to the untrained ear, you probably won't pick it up. But if you want to feel it... You want to feel it. You have to play it the way that you just described. Then, and I think that's where the genius comes in. You know, it's the, it's those techniques oh, yeah. that are that's those techniques that are born from when you're eight years of age, sitting down with a vinyl or, in my case, a cassette tape, playing, rewind, playing, rewind. No, no Pro Tools, no nothing else. You had to put your head up to the speaker. You had to hear it that way. That's where the chops come from.
0: Yeah, dude. I mean, I remember taking like being a kid, taking the you know record. Try to so slow it down a little bit, back and forth, back and forth, back. My mother would be like, what are you doing? And I, you know, and I always try to tell my students that too. Well, the guy on YouTube played it like this. I'm like, I'm like, no disrespect. A lot of these guys are great. Technically they're great. They know what they're doing. I go, but you don't learn that way. You gotta learn from here. Use your ear. Use your ear. That's really what you should be listening to. And you know, that's a that's like I said to you when with the sabotage thing, it goes to that. I would hear some the Chris Oliva play and Chris would be like, no, it's like this. I'm like, really? And it, technically, it's insane what he did. But when you listen back, you're like, oh, I, I hear it now. Like, you know, and I hate to say you could phone stuff in. You could phone in a lot of stuff, dude. Mm-hmm. You could play Judas Priest, uh, play a whole Judas Priest set and get away with it. But if you really break it down, if you break down Victim of Changes or Island of Domination, Listen to it And Richie I tell you Richie's done a great job Of copping Everything I got And he's And I'm not just saying his name I'm just saying He's a great Person for Really learning it To the record
1: Yeah That's i got to say To be honest with you though That's very sad What's going on in that camp At the moment with KK Because KK was You know The soul of that band And I know he wants back in After he left But what's your take On what's happening there?
0: Um well, to me, I can actually say I'm very lucky that I got to. While I was on sabotage, we toured with Priest on uh, the demolition tour, mm-hmm. and we did the whole European tour, and I got to see Priest every day in my life. And KK was such a cool guy to hang out with, very mellow. Have a glad. have a sit. He didn't party. Those guys didn't party. We would have a, have dinner. We would have dinner with Judas Priest. That's how they treated their bands. Um, and KK is, he's rock and roll, dude. He's rock. If you really look at old pictures of Priest, come on, with the V, the mm-hmm. sunglasses, It. I wish they would bring him back and let him play with Richie. Like, I don't think Richie should leave the band at all. I think Richie is the perfect person to be in that band right now. And, sit, and don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, what's his name is doing a great job from Demon. Yep. Um, I mean,
1: Andy Snake, he's yeah. a great.
0: Yeah. Well, Andy's wow, crazy. Great player. Mm. Great producer. But KK's there. He, that's his band. I would love to like they should let him be a part of it, man, for the fans for for yep, the history, great. you know, yeah i mean i I don't know sometimes you you have to put aside anything that's happening, sometimes like, come on, man, life's too short you're you're gonna be sorry someday when that person's not with us anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I did this, I wish I did that, Don't wish. I mean, the last 18 months, if it didn't teach anybody anything how the world is, it shouldn't teach you now. Mm. Say you're sorry or, hey, don't even say you're sorry. Pick up the phone. Say, hey, man, how are you? Bury it. Bury the hatchet, man. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I think
1: so. I tell you so I mean you you probably know David Ellison but god almighty what the hell he's gone through this last sort of three four five months whatever is just to be honest it's horrific what he's gone through you know
0: David wrote a song on a witch's record if you were god that's his song Mm -hmm. um I know David I don't know man (laughs) 30 years yeah um and he is a friend of mine and I'm sorry to say that people are going to like slam me now. Oh, you can't be friends with that guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. He made a mistake. Okay. We're all human. Mm-hmm. He made a mistake. Okay. Um, let it go, man. It's, it's kind of sad. He's probably going to, uh, probably going to lose his whole family over all this stuff. Yeah, it's not just go, yeah. you're losing his gig and mega death. I mean, he made a mistake. I make mistakes every day of my life, you know, Give him a little bit of a break, you know.
1: Part of me was thinking. I remember when it broke, um, and I was just thinking, he's an adult and it's a consenting situation, so he's basically entitled to do what he wants to do. But another part of me was thinking, how could a bloke that smart? Because I do, because I've spoken to him before, I don't know him, but I've had this sort of an interview like we're doing now. But what the hell were you thinking? He's a, he's just
0: very smart. He's a you know what he's not, he used to be my rep at Peavy, okay? Oh so, shit. Yeah. Yeah. He was when he wasn't in Megadeth anymore. He was my, he's been in my house. Like, um, it, 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 he's so well-spoken. Yeah. Like he has, dude, he has his shit together. And again, man, it's just one thing. I mean, you know, if she was underage, okay. You want to go crazy. I have a daughter. I get it. But mm. You said they were, they were consenting. Let it go, man. Let it go. Let the guy get on with his life. Let it, let it go. You don't need to. You don't need to to beat this guy up. It's been through would enough.
1: He's he's been through enough, and I I truly felt David Mustaine David Mustaine threw him under the bus with that bloody press statement that he put out, where he said this was the final straw. So there are obviously other things going on there between those guys, as there always seem to be. But you know, you, from from your perspective, if, if there was an opportunity to collaborate, would that be something that you would do?
0: If David called me tomorrow, anytime and say, Hey, I want you to play on my solo records. He, he called call me up. He's got my number. Not even, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, no, I'm not that guy's going, whoa, He did this. I won't be involved with you, dude. Everybody, everybody has their secrets. Okay. And nobody's perfect. Okay. <laughs> so to play with a great artist like him, no, I'm sorry. I, you know, okay. There's certain things. There's certain lines. you okay, man. You're right. <laughs>
1: Sorry, just sneezed I'm all sorry, good. No, I didn't, no, want to, didn't want to sneeze down the mic. <laughs> uh,
0: well, um, yeah, you don't want to ruin your mic. Um, my thing is, like, there's certain things. I do have my limitations. If somebody did, so, you know, so there, there's certain things, but I would, I would play with Dave anytime. You've played
1: with so many killer musicians over the years, like D.D. Verney, another great bass player. You know, I've got to ask, what's going on with Bronx Casket Company?
0: You know, Didi's a dear friend. We're 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 we're, go- we're goombads. Like we're brothers all the way. Um, hmm. You know, Didi's so musical. Casket um, was such a cool record. Such a cool band. We did so many cool shows. I think Didi went on to doing the solo stuff. Have you heard what he's doing now?
1: Yeah, like the rockabilly sort of thing. Nineteen twenty oh, sort awesome. of thing. Yeah,
0: dude, it's like Brian Seltzer on crack. I love it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And I think that's where his head is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we just put out, the Bronx put out the box set yeah. and he said to me, can you play on this? And he sent me the track and I played on it. And he goes, this is great, dude. I go, awesome, thanks, man. Who knows, It's really, it really depends what DD has going on. If DD gets that um, hair under his ass again, he wants to do another casket record, I'm a, I'm a phone call away. I just hmm. think right now he's really passionate about his rockabilly thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, that's you fair know? enough. Yeah,
0: and, he, and Overkill is always so busy, man. You know that that that's a that's a band that will be here to the end of earth, you know for sure. Yeah, and they're still yeah. putting out great records.
1: Yeah, a killer killer albums, great tours. They like, they still come to Australia. They're one of those bands that sort of come to Australia on I think just about every. Uh, New album cycle So they hear about Well pre-COVID of course Every sort of Two or three years or so And Blitz is a killer guy too Isn't he Just one of those guys With an infectious sense of humour
0: And You know he's like You know what Frost He's just I just (laughs) love He's like You're fucking crazy He's just He's a really cool guy To hang out with too Because we we, uh, Witches did a whole tour With them in Europe We shared a bus with them That's how much we're friends Because They don't want to share A bus with a band and yeah. they knew that they know how we are. We're not. We all respect each other, and it was fun hanging out with those guys, you know, because it was like hanging out with my hanging out with my brothers all day long. It's hanging out, eating together, sightseeing together. Um. So, so you're in Australia. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Um, one of my two places that I dream of playing. I would literally come to Australia and play for free. I just want to come there so bad.
1: I can't. Yeah, I, I, I have searched and searched, and that was going to be one of my questions. If you ever played here, it clearly hasn't happened. And that's, uh, to be honest with you, not from your perspective, I'm not saying that about you, but that's a travesty that somebody hasn't reached out to you and said, hey, man, let's do this.
0: I would, anything, anything, even like come over there as a guitar player and play in another band. I, I would do it because, um, you know, um, Andrew, that runs melodic rock. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a really good guy. Um, we've, we played a couple, we played festivals for him. We play the melodic rock festival in Chicago. I play with John Beauvoir. And I always tell him, I love you for keeping the AOR music alive, man. You're mm-hmm. like one of the main guys that do that. He's thanks, man. I really appreciate that. And he works hard, man. He doesn't make any money doing these festivals. He probably loses a lot of money, but he, I'm always like, dude, get me over there anytime.
1: The, I think if it's the same guy and the same company, um, got it failed spectacularly the last time. Um, I don't know whether you heard about it down here, but it basically almost didn't go ahead. I think it was only because Kip Winger and a few others that were slated to perform insisted on coming down and performing. And um, there was a whole bunch of bands. It blew up online so anybody can sort of go and check it out. But, um, mate, to your point, promotion and uh, putting the music on for the fans it's one of the hardest things you can do. And all you can hope for is that you don't lose. It's not about losing money because you're going to lose money. It's about losing a truckload of money.
0: Right. Right. He, um, I know he's lost a lot of money, dude. He's just a good guy. Like Mm. it sucks because he has a passion like me and like you, and you want to see your passion go through. And you know what, dude, I've never heard him say anything like feel bad for me. All right you know, I'm going to try again. And that's what he does. And I, I think that's mm. awesome. I mean, you, and you live in such a beautiful country. Oh, so I have so many friends that have been there and sent me pictures.
1: It's nice. There are parts of Sydney and Melbourne that are absolute shitholes, like most big cities these days, yeah, you know, like, like big Jersey cities. In New York,
0: York. That we have our, you know, I don't want to be going around Camden where I live. So
1: <laughs> yeah, look where I'm in Queensland, you'd love it here, mate. Cause it's subtropical. This is to be honest, where I'm from is real Australia. And, uh, yeah, we, we don't, you know, you've got space to breathe. I've got the cane fields over here. It's like Florida. The only equivalent of really? sort of a blend of Florida and Hawaii, you know, is, is sort of like where I am at. So that's when we went to Hawaii. I kept on getting asked, what's it like compared to where you're from? And I said, virtually the bloody same, to be honest with you. I mean, really? you know, especially the Gold Coast where I'm at, which is very tourist. Driven, not not at the moment, of course, but typically with a lot of the hotel yeah, lets, yeah. holiday lets, and all of that sort of stuff. But I see, I went to university with a lot of people from the United States as well, and a lot would come over and stay, um, and get visas, working visas and the like, because they're educated here. They've got an Australian education, so there's not really a lot of incentive to need to go home if you if you fit in here. And of course, most Americans, especially I noticed from the East Coast where you're from. We, um which is really weird, because I always thought that people from California would have more of a graft, and it's just a general thing. It's not not just something I've observed, yeah, no, but, but it seems because of our shared English and Scottish and Irish heritage. I think, Um I think that's what it is in the north. You know, in the northeast there, and in Australia, it's a very similar heritage that way. Our family yeah. ties, similar surnames.
0: I'm 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 part Irish and Italian, so hmm. it's kind of like. And I noticed a lot of guys from Australia too that I've met over the years. They're they're kind of like we're like East Coast people are kind of ball busters. Like we joke around a lot. We we hmm. and it's just tongue in cheek. And I've noticed that too. It's it's very it's that it's that it's that funny comic side that you kind of get each other. It's it's cool. Yeah, it's very yeah. cool. Yeah,
1: it's just something I noticed. You know, but um, hey, look, Joey Belledonna. And uh, Anthrax. Um, did you guys? I mean, obviously, you guys are East Coast guys as well. You probably grew up not too far away from each other, but. Not
0: too far. Yeah, he lives in Syracuse. Uh,
1: yeah. So, did did the professional and the working relationship with him come about through your association with Mausoleum Records, or was it something else just for the fact that you're mates from way back?
0: No. Um, I know Joey for many years. Um, we did a couple, I was playing in Lizzie Borden, and we did a couple shows mm. together, and I knew they lost their guitar player. And I just, I, I reached out to Joey he said, Hey dude, if you ever in a bind, call me back that day. He's like, Really? You would want to work together? And I and I know Paul Crook really well. Oh, Paul's wow. a very good friend of mine. And cool. it just kind of, and I, I mean he goes, Well, here, I'll send you a couple of songs if you want to come up and to see how it feels. I went up there and that was it. We just, yeah. And he's such an easy guy to work with. Um, I was, we, we, we were roommates, tour, like we literally played three months straight with one day off, one day off in three months. And, um, I will say this about Joey. That's not a rock star there. That guy would drive the, the van with us. He would load in the drums with us. He would help set up the drums. He would help set up his merch booth. Dude, that guy was never that kind of guy like, well, I'm Joey Belladonna. Nope. Mm. He was an equal, and I will always say that, and I hope people hear that about this, because that guy is in the trenches with us every day when we were on tour. Did True you, facts.
1: Did, did you get to play the, any of the material off his first solo album?
0: Of course. We played, dude, I had to learn like 35 songs. Anthrax songs, solo songs. And we did it all.
1: So what about Two-Faced? Was, did you get to play that, that cut? Of course, yes. How, how killer is that riff? It's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's so r- under...
0: Yeah, people don't know it exists, though. Dude, honestly, Joey's records are great. Yeah. And unfor- unfortunately, I have to tell you, we went to Mexico, we went to Canada, and a lot of the promoters would really push. Yeah. Play Anthrax. And we went out there at first playing a lot more Belladonna stuff which I thought was great because Paul Paul's a great songwriter. And then what happened was those, it would get less and less and more anthrax songs. And then it got to the point where we were doing like 80% anthrax songs and 20% Joey songs, which don't get me wrong, dude. I love anthrax. I mean, I love every era, every ever era, era, (laughs) um, yeah, it, and you know what, dude? When he got the call to go back to Anthrax, I was really happy for him because he needs to be there, man. I mean, John needs to be in Saint because the last few Armored Saint records are just
1: Oh, ridiculously good,
0: yeah. So it's almost like both guys have gone back to their homes where, I mean, and dude, I love Sound of White Noise. I love Volume 8. I love everything with, with Bush, Mm -hmm. But it's almost like it was time for the both guys to go back to their homes. Yeah, I know what
1: you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. And that look, that, that Bush era just coincided with Metal's low tide in so many respects, like Stomp442. I've tried to speak to Scott a bit about it, but he didn't really want to say too much, to be honest with you. He said something along the lines of he, forgot, he hasn't thought about the album in years when I brought it up because it just doesn't get brought up in interviews. And and to your point, Paul plays some unreal solos on that alongside of one of the greatest, dime, you know, and they're, they're albums that that I think casual fans and especially some of the younger fans that are coming through, you've probably noticed this with a lot of young fans they're more obsessed about the eighties than what we were. And you were, you were a teenager and sort of growing up through that era. I was a kid in that era, but at least I kind of remember when Painkiller was released, you know, they're, they're more into it than you and I probably were were ever into it. So they've got this backward looking focus. Have you noticed that? Because
0: they, they, they don't have new, they don't have anything new like that. Everything is like, you know, Oh, these, all these new bands, they don't sound like that. And Mm. you know, that's, that's why thank God for Scandinavia, because, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you got Crazy Licks, you got Mystery City, you got a lot of UK bands. I mean, you got, I mean, you probably heard glorious.
1: I think so. Yeah, sorry, it brings a bell. Oh, you need, yeah.
0: You need to check. Uh, Nathan James is a singer. Mm-hmm. He was in TSO for a while. They've got five records out on Frontiers, or maybe okay. like, but three on Frontiers, and maybe, dude, it's kind of like, you know, White Snake meets the purple. And Nathan is one of the greatest new singers out there. And I think a lot of kids now are going backwards and that they're 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 finding out about Painkiller. They're finding out about Too Fast for Love. They're, you know, and they're like, wow, Winger was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really In cool. Bridge.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I hate the shade that Winger got and what Lars Ulrich did. I mean, I know Lars is just taking the piss, but, you know, Kip is such an underrated musician, I think, and, and that band. There's, I, I couldn't name, you know, Heart of the Young as one. Or I had that one. Um, but if you want to listen to top class and top flight musicians, musicianship, I mean, it's all there. Like so many of the artists that we've spoken about already, you know, you can just keep on deep diving into this material, can't you? And you can just never come up for air because there's so much of it.
0: There's so much. And, you know, you talk about, um, talk about Winger, like, dude, that pull record is my top 10, one of my top 10 favorite records of all times. Wow. I mean, the last four, five, three, four records from Winger, they're heavy. They're heavy. They're aggressive. He's a, re- you know what, dude? People are like, oh, he doesn't play bass. Really? Listen to those songs. Oh, He's dog, yeah. riffing. Why are you singing? And moving around. Dude, yeah. I mean, it's really nice that the kids are going going back, man.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of the shade that they cop still comes from those, Those they're not, what's, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the host, he's a black guy, but they play it on his show and uh, she's only 17, that song, and and he's not, and he's putting, he's holding onto the mic and not playing bass at the same time and then he'll occasionally go back and play bass. Have you seen that video? What was there's it? A, there's a black guy, I can't remember his name, he's a comedian backslash like, like a late night, we didn't see we didn't get any of the late night shows and a lot of the shows that you guys got over there through the 80s and 90s. So okay. we're only discovering them in the 90s. But what's his name? Sorry,
0: It wasn't Arsenio Red- Hall, right? It was,
1: yeah. That's the guy. Arsenio the- Hall. Yeah, on his show. Yeah, if you see that video, and I see some people sort of making some shit ass references to that video there when they're played on there. But to me, I mean, Red Beach is just shredding. You know, just it's it's in the raw. It's all right there. I mean, this is this is what it was like. They're-
0: Go see Winger now. It's, it's, it's like a, it's like a machine. Like Reb's great, dude. Reb's a great player. Yeah, I mean.
1: Killer play. But look, I, the other thing too is you had a few albums under the Frostbite moniker. And um, look, I know it's, it's actually really hard to find any, anything online to listen to the albums. I think you've got to go into YouTube from what I can see and buy old CDs. So do you, do you have any plans to issue a license for Spotify and Apple Music?
0: Um, I, I guess the first, there was three frostbite records. It's very different kind of music. The first record was, you know, uh, uh, and this is, I would like to get this into, um, Jeff Labar hmm. produced the first record and I miss him a lot. It was very sad to see him pass away and he really helped me out in my direction. So, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to let people know. Um, sure. so we have three records out. Um, you know, it'd be cool to do like a box set with those three records and like, have them remastered. Yeah. Um but you can find like um Secret Admirer. Um I think Carousel's you you can find them. Secret Admirer is very Queensrikey. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Like each record was very different. And then um, Carousel got really heavy. And that's where it right went into writing the seven witches. So yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that Apple Music doesn't have any of that, but I'll, that's a good question. I, I I will look into that because, um, he, you know, I talked to Deco. They're great. Maybe they could put a box set out of those records, you know?
1: Yeah, I reckon so. Yeah, Deco, I was going to say that. Look, because, I mean, the other thing too is you've got two albums out there under the Frost moniker, and I enjoy that stuff. I've got to tell you. Sorry, this thing will come back on in a sec. That's okay, I've man. I've got to get this, this setup changed. <laughs> but, um but, look, you've got two albums out there under the Frost moniker and I, I love that material. You know why? Because it's got that, there was something around 2005 where everything seemed possible again. It was like metal just regenerated and I love that, and this is my take on it, you've got a gnarly Testament meets Alice in Chains vibe because you've got those massive, chunky riffs and I feel like I presented a different side of your songwriting. Do, do you agree with that?
0: Oh, hundred percent. Um, it definitely was definitely different from witches and casket. And if you listen to it, there's, there's some hints of brothers in arms on there. There's a Mm. couple of songs like, um, you know, um, out in the cold with Terry from XYZ that -hmm. could have been on the new brothers in arms. It's got that, you know, it's got that bluesy kind of approach. And then, um, the song, yeah, it's crazy. Ted Poley, he's sang heavy on it, and Harry Hess from Harem Scarum. like it, it's got that like punchy. It, it, it was, a, yeah, it definitely was a different, different vibe. Like you know, I hate to say this word, but maybe a little bit more of a modern approach.
1: Yeah, definitely. But,
0: yeah, you know, I like but that. yeah, modern approach with singers that still sang. If yeah. that's a way of saying it.
1: There's a band in Australia called Grinspoon, if you've heard of them, and it reminded me a lot of what those guys were doing. They're, they're no. huge here. They, toured, they actually toured with the Anthrax in the late 90s when they released a Volume 8. And um, Phil Devon, I think, is the name of the guitarist. If you hear that band you'll hear you'll definitely of course you wouldn't know you, you don't know them but there was a school of guitar playing going on back then that I just loved and and Pat and yourself had that going on with that project for us. so we- for anybody yeah for anybody out there that wants to hear god he, he goes you know uh you know when I say this this term work with me here, but grunge metal grungy metal it's dirtier it's it's Got that... It's just got a gnarly vibe going on. As I say, like an Alice in Chains thing going on. Meets, oh, you know, I mean, how good? How good is it? But Cantrell, I
0: just... Dantrell. I... Dantrell so great. Like, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden. I mean, those records... Dude, I was a huge Mother Love Bone fan too. Like, mm-hmm. that's a little more glammy, but still, it has that that rawness of that grunge approach. See, I think a lot of people get mad when you talk about grunge. Yes, because... It kind of took a big turn for like the 80s bands. I really think the record labels and MTV could have made everything work if they wanted to. They just didn't mm. want to for some reason. They wanted to make sure it was like black or white.
1: Were you ever, I know I've spoken to George, George Lynch about this, but he called that album from 98 or 99 Lynch Biscuit. You know, the one I'm talking about where he sort of went. Revolution? might have been revolution yeah sorry i'm just escaped uh, black, A bit,
0: black cover silver i was think so robert mason robert mason singing i'm pretty sure he was yeah yeah yeah, yeah but dude you're not going to make robert mason sound like um kirk revane robert's voice is too perfect his voice he's not he's robert he's is one of the greatest singers so i mean yeah I can understand what he's saying is heavy. It's aggressive, but Robert still made it sound like appealing. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I just, i just, sorry I'm just going into Wikipedia to look up that era because it was, it was interesting to talk to, uh, what was this? No, smoke this, sorry. It's the smoke, this era with, um, the smoke this era with George and he started playing music that more closely resembled corn and, Rage Against the Machine and all of that sort of music. And my, my, but my question for you though was that because he, he told me that people had respect for him, but they were they go out and play this material and they were throwing shit at the rest of the band. The crowds I was so angry that they didn't hear Lynch Mob and docker material and that they were hearing this stuff. And this is back when New Metal was huge. But the fans really, didn't, yeah, yeah. He told me that. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. But you know, fans are so fans can be so fucking silly at times. But did you ever? get that pressure from a label or from fellow musicians to adopt your sound to the side of the times?
0: You know, I didn't get that, but I got a lot of slack from fans about some of my material. They're like, oh, you're all modern now. Now you're that guy. You're, you know, and I'm Mm. like, I didn't do it. It's just the feel at the time. Oh, now you're like the guy in Disturbed. I'm like, why are you making fun of Disturbed? They're fucking great, dude. Dan's a great songwriter and a great player. Mm. Like, don't make it, it you change with the time sometimes. Um, no record label ever told me to go a certain way. I've got told a few times on those frost records, they were kind of pissed at me because they expected it to be more of a a metal record, not yeah. so modern. Yeah. Fair and enough. I saw I saw Lynch on that tour. On and I remember he was playing Messy Boogie Amps. He had another guitar player on that tour. <laughs> and you know what, dude? I really liked it though. I thought it was cool. Okay, So, what are you going to say now that what he does with um, the singer from King's X, you're going to, people are going to make fun of that? Kiss my ass. Those records are KXM. Yeah. Those records are badass.
1: Incredible. Yeah. Amazing so stuff. Ever,
0: yeah. Like, and that's that sound. But you know, I don't, I like it, man. I think it's cool that I, people try to try different things, try different street, you know, streets.
1: Hey, are you are you mates with do you know Chris Aiken and Neely from the Classic Metal Show?
0: Um, of course I am.
1: <laughs> what do you think of that show?
0: <laughs> those guys are out of their fucking minds. I love it. I love those guys. They're awesome. You know, dude. I am such a lucky guy that I'm friends with Eddie Trunk, Don Jameson, and yep. it's not like, you know, like most people are like, you know, oh, I don't use those guys to promote myself because they're my friends. They yep. literally, like, they'll like reach out to me. Hey, I really like you doing this. I'm like, thanks, man. Like, uh, you know, it's, and those guys you mentioned, they're just crazy. They love their music, dude. They love their music and they keep it alive.
1: Alright, it sort of ended abruptly there from the recording's perspective, but Jack and I did go on to talk for about another 25-odd minutes or so. I so wish I could share that with you, but it is lost for all time because of fucking Zoom. Excuse my language. Zoom decided to end the recording at that point. I did not prompt it to do that. I have no idea what happened. But either way, look... Jack and I can reconnect sometime in the near future and I do hope that happens because I love what he's doing with Brothers in Arms and you can tell I'm a fan of the work the man has produced so far. So look, on that note, please like, subscribe and share and if you like what you just heard you can go across to scarsandguitars.com and you can hear plenty more conversations that are similar to that one. They're not just like that one. That one was quite special wasn't it? So, Other conversations that uh, are in the ballpark at the very least, and I hope you enjoy listening to them as you take a deep dive through almost, at this point, 600 episodes. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series, so I appreciate that you've tuned in. And until next
0: time, it's goodbye for now.